Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. As the, fra- as the Portland public schools strike continues, we're going to start today with a statewide look at education funding. For about two decades now, the Oregon Quality Education Commission has been responsible for figuring out how much the state should be spending to ensure that students get quality educations. But throughout that time, the state legislature has never allocated enough money to meet the level put forward by the commission. John Rexford is the chair of the commission. He joins us now. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon. What's the mandate of Oregon's Quality Education Commission? Uh, We are actually uh, the legislature's response to their constitutional requirement to sufficiently fund uh, K-12 education at a level that will meet the state's quality education goals. So the commission was created, as you said, a couple decades ago. Its charge uh, is to define that level of resources needed to meet those goals, uh, along with identifying best practices that may be used in in also uh, delivering that that level of education. How does a state how does our state define a quality education? I mean, in order to first figure out how much money lawmakers should put forward to meet these goals, you you have to have these goals. So what are you all working towards? So the the quality education goals are defined in statute, and um, uh, there's a lot of a lot of words there, frankly, Dave. And uh, it, it when you parse them out, there's nineteen different elements in terms of, having students really prepared for their future. The the Quality Education Commission, uh, starting in 2014, has essentially distilled that down to uh, having at least 90% of students graduate uh, within four years uh, of entering high school. Um, So we have a lot of um, really broad goals, but the commission, in trying to get their arms around it over time, has defined it at that that 90% graduation rate. Hmm. In the most recent state report card, we saw that uh, something like 83% of ninth graders yeah. are on track to graduate. Standardized test scores, as I'm sure you know well, uh, in reading and writing and math, the most recent ones, are, are really dismal in a lot of ways. How much attention do you pay to how students are doing as opposed to the amount of money that schools are or should be getting? Well, we've got a very narrow focus, and that is what is that that bucket of resources that we need to make sure that we support those students to get them across the line. Um, uh, one of the things that we have uh, identified in our 2022 report is um, a wish that we could get some additional support to kind of update the model, if you will. And one of those updates would be to bring in more of the interim measures uh, more formally into our process. So things like ninth grade on track, third grade reading, fifth grade math, uh, some of those other interim measures so that we're not just looking at that singular measure uh, of graduation rate after the students have been with us in the system for 13 years. What difference do you think that would make? I mean, updating the model, practically speaking, if in the end, 
in addition to this, you know, the longer 40-page report, if, if what you're saying is you're arriving at a number, what difference do you think changing the model would make in, in how you actually make your recommendation to the legislature? I think the, the, the primary benefit of an update would be to make sure that we're including all those discrete costs uh, of, of, of delivering the, the education that we'd like to, to deliver. Uh, for instance, as we delve into some of our work, uh, we have refined a lot of the existing model. Um, some of the assumptions were pretty outdated. Uh, one great example is in uh, moving into the 2022 report, we updated the section on how many computing devices we think are appropriate to have at, at, in schools. And it really reflected a model where six students would have one computing device. And that's really what the model looked like back in 2000. So we've been able to update incrementally over time things like that in staffing levels, um, including school nurses and library media specialists, those sorts of things that you need to, to make sure you define and include in, uh, in a, an appropriate school setting. But we really want to dig even deeper in, in refining some of the, the differences between, for instance, rural and urban settings, um, suburban settings. Uh, we know, for instance, we've been looking at some numbers uh, that the very small rural settings, um, and we have many of those in, in Oregon school districts, come at a cost premium that we, we really weren't capturing in the older model. So we're, we're just looking to, for some support to uh, dive into that. Um, and then also, uh, I think it's really important to do a broader stakeholder engagement process as we kind of do those updates to make sure that we're reflecting today's needs and the future needs of the students and families of the state of Oregon. How far away is Oregon right now, the, the Oregon's allocated budget from what the quality education model says it should be? Okay. That's, um, I actually, uh, on behalf of the commission, reported to the Joint Public Education Appropriation Committee in September. Um, and at this point in time, our calculations show us to be about uh, a billion and a half dollars short of, of what the commission recommends. That's about 12 and a half percent uh, away from the goal. And, and that range, that, that shortfall over, you know, the past 10 biennia has ranged from as high as 38% uh, back in the, in the throes of the Great Recession uh, to just, uh, uh, just a little over 5% in the last biennium. That 5% number really was affected by the pandemic and uh, kind of the dislocation of enrollment. So that's kind of an outlier. We typically run about 20% uh, or so short uh, over time in terms of funding our, our systems to meet those goals. I imagine that every district ha has their own particular situation, but in general, mm -hmm. where do you think that the $1.5 billion is not going to, or where, where do you think it would go to if lawmakers were to you know, find much more money to put towards K-12 schools? Um, I suspect, and, and this is more based on my own observations, my own work in the profession, 
that uh, most of that money would go to hiring more staff, um, both more more uh, licensed staff in, in the classroom and supporting the classroom, as well as paraprofessionals uh, in, in in the classroom and supporting the classroom. Um, you know, we spend generally in schools 80 to 85 percent of our budgets providing um, staff and, and supports for for students and and i think that would be the the variable cost would be just putting more adults in schools with children which could mean smaller class sizes perhaps um or more services for students yeah absolutely and, and I would see both of those sorts of things manifesting in, in a situation where we get more resources. You've been at this for a while. Um, what are the <laughs> reasons why we have never, we've gotten close, I, as you noted, um, in the, the, mm-hmm. the really, the odd and dislocated times of the pandemic, but in general, 15, 20% or so, sometimes more, below what the, what the state itself says is a quality education. Why? Why are we always below that? Well, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of outside the, the, the why is kind of outside the purview of the commission. But, you know, as an observer and participant in the system, there are lots of needs to be met for, for people in the state of Oregon. And the legislature and the governors over time have had a difficult task in allocating those resources out in, in the manner that they think best meets the needs of the state. And unfortunately, over time, that has not been to the fullest extent uh, public education. Um, the School Success Act, you know, the uh, corporate activity tax that has been implemented has certainly been a boost uh, for K-12 education. And we appreciate those funds. And I think that's why we're setting in a number that's more like 12.5% as opposed to 20% now. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about statewide school funding in Oregon with John Rexford. He's a chair of the Oregon Quality Education Commission. Before that, he was the superintendent of the High Desert Education Service District. And that was after spending about a dozen years or more in Ben Lapine schools. Uh, ending up as deputy superintendent there. So in all of that time that you spent as an administrator before you became the chair of this commission, I'm just curious if you can give us a sense for what the rest of us may not be aware of when it comes to the the unexpected or surprising costs of, of running a school. What What should we as Oregonians be thinking about? Well, you know, just two things, Dave, from that perspective come to mind. One is that that there are a lot of students that need additional supports. And if we're going to get more and more of them across the finish line, if you will, and give them a diploma that means something and that they've got choices and options to make uh, as they leave our system, um, it will take additional staffing. It's not just, um, you know, your grandmother or grandfather's uh, classroom. Uh, where we had, you know, one teacher in front of 30 students all aligned in their their rows. There's a lot of um, needs and issues outside the classroom that come into the classroom that that we need to, uh, you know, mitigate with with appropriate services. The other little quirk in in school funding that 
is another thing we'd like to examine a little bit is we have a bifurcated or split system in that the money for operations um, primarily comes through the, the, the state, this school support fund, but capital construction and keeping school facilities uh, up so that they're safe and conducive for our children is really a local issue. And that's an issue where we have a real um, disparity across the state in uh, communities' ability or, or choice to support those upgrades. So we've got some really nice school facilities, but we've got some school facilities that really, really need some help to, to make sure that the kids can can have a warm, dry, supportive environment to, to have their education occur. I'm curious, based on your own professional experience um, and, and setting aside your official job uh, uh, position now as chair of, of the state's Education Quality Commission, I'm curious what has stood out to you in the current strike and the, the, the long ongoing labor dispute at Portland Public Schools? You know, again, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of what's going on. I, I, I read. I read a lot. Um, I, I think it's one symptomatic of uh, an entire system that's under financial pressure and, and over time, you know, we're talking 20 years of chronic underfunding and, and that puts a lot of pressure on the adults in the room and trying to find a balance to meet student needs. And I, I think again, and, and this is personally, uh, I'm, I am hoping that the adults can find a solution soon so that we can get those students back in, in the classroom. Uh, we're already um, got a lot of work to do to get through the impacts of the pandemic and and having kids out of school is is not helpful. So I'm hoping they can they can find a solution soon. The adults in the room that does remind me. I'm pretty sure that's similar language to what we heard from Governor Tina Kotek um, last week. Over the weekend, <laughs> uh, 16 of the 19 Portland area lawmakers in the legislature they sent a letter to the Portland School Board. They said, basically, we gave you what you asked for in the state budget, more than has ever been allocated in a biennium. And they added something mm. more pointed. They also said that Portland Public Schools spends a higher percentage of its total budget on administration than the state average, than, than most other schools. Does the Quality Education Commission have anything to say about how districts spend their money as opposed to how much they should get? No, we do not. That's really outside of our, our purview. Um, and, and, you know, part of that's informed by how it gets allocated through the state school uh, fund um, and and then how it's implemented on the ground at, at each 197 school districts and 19 ESDs. So, um, no, we don't have a whole lot to, to uh, provide there. Um, I'm curious. Obviously, our model, our model includes levels of administration, uh, you know, basically at the school level and then some of the district level. But other than that, uh, we don't really dissect what each of the school districts is is doing. What do you think of the level of control that the Oregon Department of Education currently exerts in local schools? And I should, I should remind listeners again, you are a longtime now former administrator of schools or or of a of education service district, so so your perspective is is I imagine is one from the local level, but I, I guess what I'm really asking is, do you think the state should exert more control to say 
with money limited, um, this is how you should focus your limited resources. You know, I'm I'm obviously coming from that local level. I'm I'm always um, I have trepidation about direction from outside the local setting because each and every school district, in my experience, is dealing with a unique set of issues, and those people closest to those issues, I think, should be ultimately making the allocations. I. I appreciate and support accountability measures. And if school districts are not meeting the needs of students in in some significant way, I, I'm not afraid of accountability. Um, I think uh, it, it is important. Um, it is important for folks to be using best practices, using research-based curricula, and really focusing on what each student needs to be successful. Um, and, and we think that the quality education report can be a real resource um, for uh, both uh, policymakers and practitioners, um, both useful and valid. Um, and I would um, encourage, um, you know, all uh, legislators to, to take a few minutes to read at least um, the executive summary and the high-level um, findings in the quality education report. Um, I, I think they might find it informative. Do you get the sense that lawmakers are paying attention to what you do? I get, I'm just wondering about your level of frustration and if you feel like you're being listened to. Oh, I mean, I think there's always opportunities to, to spread the word, right? Um, I uh, I know that we have really great engagement with um, you know the Joint Public Education Appropriation Committee and certainly some other legislatures have, have directly um, you know reached out to us and we provided information so we're really trying to raise our visibility um, to make sure that they know that this resource is out there um, they've got an awful lot of other stuff to worry about and and we want to make sure that we're the co kind of the go-to resource uh, when it comes to these kinds of questions. John Rexford, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, Dave. John Rexford is the chair of Oregon's Education Quality Commission.